Welcome to International History Declassified, the podcast that provides an insider's view of the history of the post-war world and the historians who study it. International History Declassified is a production of the History and Public Policy Program at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Beerstaker. And I'm your co-host, Keon Byrne. The Wilson Center's History and Public Policy Program uses archival sources and history to improve understanding of important global dynamics, trends in international relations, and U.S. foreign policy. The program is home to the Digital Archive, a free online resource of newly declassified materials from around the world, available and accessible at www.digitalarchive.org. In each episode of International History Declassified, Peter and I will sit down with historians to discuss their work and experiences researching in the field of international history. By examining their sources and methods, we hope to share with you the latest research being done on many different events, periods, and places that help shape our understanding of the world today. Welcome to another episode. Today we have Dr. Sasha Zala, Director of Diplomatic Documents of Switzerland, also known as DOTIS. Sasha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me you here. Well, we're really excited to talk about this subject. And, and frankly, I think it's uh, something that uh, I've been aware of, uh, the work of DOTUS uh, with the history and public policy for a number of years now. But I, I don't think a lot of our listeners necessarily know uh, about the collection, about the database. So could you just very briefly tell us about uh, the work and the, and the history of, of, of uh, DOTUS and, and what, the, uh, what the collection covers? Well, DODIS is uh, an institute of the Swiss Academy of Science, and uh, we were late born. The great edition of diplomatic documents starts uh, the scientific in the 1920s. The foreign relations of the United States starts 1861, but there is a process of scientificization in the mid of the 20s when the editorial practices uh, were uh, more conformed to historical standard, not to propaganda. And this is a uh, general development everywhere in Europe. Uh, so we were uh, founded very late in the 70s, and this was a great advantage because the solution was a solution of free research. So we are a, a free institute of uh, the Academy of Science, and I'm also professor at the University of Bern. So the research that we are doing is uh, is, is not state research, uh, but is uh, academic research. We are an institute of about 20 people in several functions, about 10 professional historians, and then we have uh, um, students, PhD students, we are civilists. There are people who in Switzerland are, should do military service, but they don't want, so they make this instead. And this is very useful for the, all the work of digitalization. We have uh, interns making a stage, and, uh, and this is a kind of uh, very interesting because we can really promote basic, basic research in history and then put it into historiography with uh, master thesis, PhD thesis, and stuff like that. The Swiss state is, uh, or the, the modern state, is born 1848, actually, after uh, the uh, liberal revolution, after a civil war, actually. And uh, so the series start, uh, started in the 70s uh, by 1848. And uh, 
that time is of was of course published in volume and um, if uh, you look at my library here you see the red books this is the series 1848 until the end of uh, world war ii 1945 but this series is also retro digitalized not only as pdf but we also are uh, doing a retro xml project and so we have all the entities there are people persons uh, geographic place and organization which are uh, inside the, the DODIS database. So in fact, for the user, the database today covers the period from 1848 until now 1990. But we have a gap from 1978 to 1989. Uh, this was the second series from uh, uh, Switzerland during uh, 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 the Cold War for 1945 uh, until 1989. And this series uh, is arrived until volume uh, 27 uh, until 1978. And then we decide to take full advantage of the 30 years rule of the archives, which allows us the 1st of January of the 31th year after I can publish the documents of the 30, uh, 31 December of 30 years before. And uh, we have done this uh, this year the first time. This was uh, kind of exciting because it was uh, complicated also for the declassification review. And we were able to publish uh, January 1st, the volume on 1990, uh, which starts the new series on the 90s. So right now we are working on the 90s which is extremely interesting because historiographically spoken is quite a little bit terra incognita. We don't have a lot of archival sources for that because they are opening now because we have generally the 30 years rule everywhere. So the edition right now are a little bit behind. So right now we are pioneers in, 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 in this opening and the publishing. And uh, we really believe in open access and everything we do is, is open and not only open access, but also in open formats. So for example, the transcription of the documents are XML, so you can just download and take it in your own database. So we have a, a strong commitment about openness and uh, we hope, uh, we always hope that we also have this commitment for the side of the government. And in fact, um, it's, uh, it's probably a little bit much easier to do historical research in Switzerland than in the United States, just because the Swiss state doesn't have such a lot of such great secrets, especially military questions. Our secrets are in the banks and not in the national archives. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. Uh, and I think, you know, based on conversation you uh, that we had a, a bit previously, you said, um, I mean, obviously, with a um, uh, diplomatic cables being sent in both German and French, uh, and I guess some some Italian, uh, you said the, the breakdown is about 60% uh, uh, German language uh, documents in the DOTUS archives, maybe 40% uh, French, but uh, I do want to note for for uh, all of our listeners that the uh, the search functions and the tools, uh, the, the way you navigate around the database and can find those documents, uh, is available in English, uh, French, German, Italian. It's it's really a, a wonderful resource for somebody who's uh, not a native uh, French or German speaker. 
Yes, and I have to tell you, it's not so trivial to make historiographical translations because often the terms are not exactly the same. So uh, it, it's, sure. it's an intellectual uh, work to try to, to do it. So we are happy that we can do it. We, we uh, obviously at the Wilson Center have uh, uh, operate and run the digital archive, uh, digitalarchive.org, uh, which is a large resource of, of translated documents as well. We have a, a, a fantastic relationship with a lot of professional translators, uh, many of whom uh, we work with because they know the subject. They know some of the specific uh, terminology and, and language for these uh, these topics. So it's always nice to uh, to have that bit of uh, bit of extra expertise. So I understand what you're saying there. Um, so aside from from the database and, and uh, the uh, the primary sources, the actual documents that DOTUS uh, contains, uh, you've shown us a little bit of this uh, this 1990s publication. Are there any other publication series or, or features uh, of the documents that you'd like to highlight for researchers? Actually, we started two uh, formats. One are the Quaderni di Dodis, which are the books of Dodis in Italian. Italian is my mother language. And the Saggi di Dodis, which are the articles of Dodis. And um, the idea is, uh, I want to paraphrase Clausewitz uh, saying that uh, the war is the continuation of politics with other means. And uh, my paraphrase is the publication are the continuation of the database Dodis with other means. So the idea is to be radical digital and to put the resources of Dodis, which are information, of course, of the digitalized documents, but also a lot of information on biographies, on organizations, and on geographic places in the in the footnotes, so that when you read it, and uh, of course we have it also for uh, iPad and uh, Kindle and uh, iPhone, so you have re quite a haptic experience because you can read through historiography, and then you have the footnotes. You can click on the footnotes go down in the footnotes and then click on the resources and back you are on the database and uh, I tell you a secretary of state <laughs> a Swiss secretary of state once said that's high praise you know, <laughs> this stuff this is formidable it's like the YouTube of, hist of historia yeah <laughs> and then uh, I like that. and then he and then he told me, and you know, and one you are inside, you can go, you can never came out because it's so interesting. So it, it's really a, an ecosystem where we really try to, to put together the stuff. And uh, we created also um, a concept of, um, of linking documents on different um, uh, highness, if you want, of abstraction. So we have high topics, thesaurus, like, uh, uh, for example, um, relation mm -hmm. with the United States mm -hmm. of America, or uh, economic relation with the United States of America. If you click on that, you will have uh, 8,000 uh, uh, documents. Then we have specific history, like, uh, for example, um, we have an accident, an international accident, uh, for example, the question of the hostages in Tehran or stuff like that, which is a little bit close, a little bit, a little bit uh, smaller. So you go there on 20 documents. And then, and, and we have an historiographical denomination for that, uh, which is not so uh, easy to do it in a lot of languages. And then we have 
um, the possibility to link documents together. So they are related documents so that they are pushed when you go to one, you get documents that are related. And then we have a last um, system ah. to put it together, which are it's a kind of a technical linking, like if a telegram is the answer of another, they are linked and then you have it. So, so we just, because we were, uh, we are online since uh, 1998, which is incredibly early. Uh, in IT stuff, it would be like having 100 years. But we are online now since <laughs> uh, uh, a long time. And so we were able to make a, a transition of all the different phases. And at the beginning, when we started, we had only 500 documents. So the linking was not so important. But right now, when we are thousands and thousands, it's very important to put the stuff together and to have it together. This is uh, intellectually very interesting. When uh, <laughs> we have done the selection on a story, we typically choose one uh, that's an important document. One, major, one document which tells the story on a comprehensive way, so that, and this is the document that we choose uh, to, uh, to make the transcription and to make the critical apparatus of footnotes. And then we have typically 12 or 20 other documents on that story, so that if you go to the main document, You've got the story, and then you have the several phase, for example, if uh, you have tracked it, stuff like that. And this is intellectually extremely demanding and is fascinating. And this is what the historians are doing when we look uh, at the National Archives. Our offices are inside the National Archives, so we are the biggest client <laughs> because we are not part of the Swiss state. And we are the biggest client of the Swiss National Archives, which uh, makes things not always uh, easy uh, sometimes. And uh, we look about uh, maybe 1.5 uh, million of pages a year. They all research. But of course, uh, also very, very cursory. But it's a little bit, the, it's a maybe uh, 5,000 um, folders, archival folders that, that we analyze. And then we choose 1,500 documents. And these 1,500 documents are digitalized and, uh, and uh, published with all the um, information about the critics of sources and the, and the metadata. And then from that 1,500 documents, we choose typically 50, 60, 70 that we make a transcription and the critical apparatus. So actually we publish 1% uh, of what we look. And, uh, and uh, the, 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 this is something that um, when I then <laughs> no make such thing. a seminar, research <laughs> seminar at university, yeah. and I see the students, they think in the database there are too many documents. And it's too that, I just say... <laughs> Oh, go to the National Archive and then you see <laughs> what, what means a lot of documents. So. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Keon. I actually think this might be a really good opportunity, just given that, that Sasha was talking about the, the linking and, and sort of uh, cross-referencing uh, cross uh, within the footnotes uh, each of these documents. This might be a good time to, uh, to, to uh, do the screen share and, and, and have a bit of a, a quick guided tour. At this point in the podcast interview, Dr. Zala gave us a guided tour of the DOTUS website, showing us several features and how to effectively search it. 
This is the most stimulating or engaging content for an audio-only podcast, so if you would like to see the screen capture recorded on a YouTube video, please visit wilsoncenter.org podcasts and navigate to our page. A little bit more detail how the review and selection process of the documents work and how that interacts with the 30-year rule and your interactions with the uh, National Archives. Is it a strict rule? Is there a Freedom of Information Act that you're able to sort of press for for uh, early release, so to speak? Um, can you go into a little bit more detail there? I think uh, this is a substantial difference between us and the foreign relation of the United States. Uh, the foreign relation of the United States is a governmental project which based on a law, a federal law, the Foreign uh, Relation of the United States Act, which allows the members of the, of the Office of the Historian to do the research also in classified documents, and then they have to fight for, uh, for the declassification of the selection they have done. And uh, maybe you know there is a board uh, which is uh, constituted uh, with uh, important historian from the organization like the American Historical Association, etc., which should give guarantees about this project and maybe making a little bit a lobbying process on that. And uh, if you know the story of the publication of the Foreign Relations of the United States, there are some volume who were blocked forever. Uh, there was, for example, also the Guatemala coup doc, a volume who was published twice, once without CIA and one with the CIA. And uh, you, you know the story. This is um, radical different in Switzerland, and I'm happy about that. So, in fact, we have a, a, a federal law which uh, opens the archives after 30 years automatically. And if the government needs to have secret, and we surely agree that there are some uh, small area where secrecy is uh, relevant for a national state, we agree that uh, we would surely disagree uh, with uh, the guys on the other side about the amount. I, I, I probably think that uh, that big would be the uh, two meters of documents would be enough for to cover the real secrets, but they probably think that uh, two kilometers are better. But uh, we uh, have um, the great uh, advantage of not having a huge amount of documents like in the United States in the National Archives, which are absolutely not problematic, but which are only waiting for the classification. Because in fact, uh, there is a kind of uh, yeah, quite psychopathic uh, approach of making a page by page declassification, which uh, cost enormity of energy. So in Switzerland, fundamentally, the documents are open after 30 years, or they consider um, personal data, uh, which is substantive of protection, and they're strictly defined, and it would be 50 years, or the government, can decide that some uh, folders are subjected to a longer period of protection, which could be 50 or 80 years. But they have to publish this in, an, in a public list. So Folder. we know exactly yeah. which... Yeah. Uh, Fonds or something. Uh, 
it's not on the level of documents, it's on the level of, 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 of all this and even bigger. But mm-hmm. we know that there are the files, so like lot files in the, in the National Archive in the United States, so, and there are the small descriptions. Mm-hmm. So we know that there is something there, and we know there is also a, a date when they will be available. So they are not uh, blocked forever, which is very important. So um, for us, uh, we published the document now, the f- January the 1st, and normally we make a press conference on January the 3rd or January the 4th when the people start working. And so we say national archives are going on. Those are the most exciting documents and we have it there, which is very, that's a really fostering research because then uh, if you are a candidate for a PhD or for a master thesis, you can just pick one document and say, this is a good subject, let's go and look further. So this is this is really, I'm mm-hmm. very happy about this. And in fact, we have only to, um, to work two years be- behind the protection period. And the law allows to make exceptions. And so we have, um, we had to ask, and it's very, very laborious, and it takes a lot of energy. But we work in the last two years of the protection period. And normally, mm-hmm. we receive uh, a permission, which says mm-hmm. you are allowed to do the research, but you published on January the 1st after 30 years. So this is the point. And then I invented, and I'm very proud about that, the negative biography. Because historians uh, always uh, tend to make huge <laughs> bibliographies in their PhD thesis and saying everything that they see, that they have seen, maybe also things that they never have seen, but they put it. And I do, I, I, I do the contrary. I make a list of the files or of the that uh, that, that I had uh, loved <laughs> to see and that I did. So you know it's a good ask. list. <laughs> and uh, this list, of course, as kind of blacklist, uh, the government doesn't like very much uh, that this list uh, is long, but it's it, it's a very good list, and uh, it is our. Uh, mission as, as as researcher to be transparent and say uh, in those folder we mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. had loved to see it but we couldn't and because they are not closed forever they we keep asking for them and uh, one day they will open and so we already had uh, some and we opened them and we saw that they were absolutely irrelevant stuff. And this is a little bit the problem that I have wrote my PhD last millennium on the history of censorship. And once the censorship was political, so it was a political driven censorship so that the government wanted to say or not say things. And now today it's a kind of uh, administrative bureaucratic censorship. So uh, because the bureaucrats don't know what's are inside the folders. They don't know it because they are not historians. So they make assumption. And so for them, it's much more easy just to to say, no, it's not accessible because so nothing happens than the contrary. (laughs) And uh, in fact, I have really to tell you that uh, I never really saw big secret. Of course, Switzerland doesn't have an atomic bomb and so makes uh, things, everything a little bit more easy. But um, what I want to say is that uh, we can work well with the uh, law that we have, but 
the fact that we are at the edge of mm-hmm, the third years mm-hmm. makes a lot of not very um, productive bureaucratic work in order to ask and ask and ask permissions. And uh, as I told you, um, can you actually, um, the so I, the, is, the 1990 uh, quite um, always given would have been the release, right? So that's the latest list. edition. Um, what documents did you find or didn't you find that you found interesting? You, you're saying you haven't found too many smoking guns or, or anything, but uh, what what is there to, to sort of speak to the value of that edition? And what are you hoping to get in the next few years as you kind of build out the your blacklist? Um, that's a very interesting question. So I, I started to be associated to the Dodis Research Group when I was a long time mm. ago, when I was a research candidate, at the, a PhD candidate at the University of Perth. And, and at that time, we were doing the 50s, the 1950s. So I, I, I'm really there since the 50s. And um, you have to understand that um, the neutrons after 1945 were paria, were kind of failed state, where the state which didn't help to gain against the absolute evil, which was National Socialist. So even the communists for a there was this honeymoon, and then you, there are all the debates when the Cold War starts. But the first three, four years after forty-five, it's a very a bad thing to be neutral. And uh, and then Switzerland created a discourse of master narrative, which gave, gave to the neutrality quite uh, a quasi-religious, uh, it's a quite a political political religious, and this was. Uh, a master narrative in order to legitimize what Switzerland was doing during World War II. And don't forget Switzerland, uh, the, the Axis forces were all around Switzerland. So it's mm-hmm. it's clear that uh, the uh, economic relation with the Third Reich were very, very, very near, uh, by, of course. Uh, but the problem is was never, uh, in my eyes, the role of Switzerland during uh, the war. The problem was how this was legitimized after the war. And this make uh, Swiss foreign policy a kind of anomaly. So the fact that Switzerland, which is one of the state which is most interconnected in the world, one of the states with a more open uh, economy, it's export oriented and uh, has an economic impact which is huge by his geographic uh, bigness or smallness. And, uh, and in fact, we, Switzerland came up with this narrative of neutrality, which make uh, it's often a, quite a nonsense. And uh, in the fact of saying that we are not in this world. And we were, until 2002, the only real country not being member of the United Nations. Think about that. Having the second uh, seat of the United Nations in Geneva, which which is very interesting to explain. And um, we saw that in in the middle of the 60s was a shifting towards a uh, a normalization. And just to that you understand what I tried to tell you, the first time that a Swiss member of the government, a federal councillor, went abroad was for, for when Kennedy died. And the government made 
a, a, a decision and said, we cannot not go because all the warriors looking at us. So this was quite the first official opening because in fact, the member of the government and we have since 1848, seven member of, uh, of the government, always seven. And they are supposed to be at home and work and not going around and uh, making holidays. So this was the discourse. And we see that there is a long shifting of, uh, of normalization between 1965, uh, so the first time, 63 with Kennedy, and then a kind of normalization. And then it was very important, 1975, uh, the uh, process of the conference, uh, the Kaiser process and the Helsinki Charter, uh, 1st of August, 1975, where Switzerland could go there and say, we are neutral. And this is the um, point of encounter between East and West. And so we have a meaning. and. Since the middle of the 70s, uh, normal practices of having the foreign minister going abroad and meeting other people uh, changed. So also the, the documentation changed because the mm. very fact that they are doing the meetings, it changed the way that uh, we were doing that. And for me, it was very interesting because I, I, I saw all this uh, development and then we had the break on 78. So we don't really already know what happens in the 80s. And then we came up with the 90s. And in the 90s, so we opened the 90s and then I found a country which was kind of normal. So which has a foreign minister, which do things that foreign ministers do, uh, normally do. And the, 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 this was very interesting for me to see the finishing of this normalization. And at the same time, the, the great crisis of identity, because as I told you, the, the three, four years after 45, the neutral are failed mm. states. But then, after the creation of the Bundesrepublik and NATO, the neutral in a bipolar world, they got a mission because you could be neutral in a bipolar world. You could not be neutral in a one world where everybody is on the good side. And this change in 1998, the Berlin Wall is an identity crisis for Switzerland because then you don't, the neutrality doesn't make any sense anymore. And so you don't have the bipolarity in 1990. And, uh, and then you see how the, the diplomatic apparatus reflects this on a, on a, also in an intellectual way and, and, and start to, uh, to reorientate Swiss foreign policy in a new way. And what was very interesting for me is that it was one of the first time that we really see that Switzerland understand also his financial power and starts and sees a, a chance in the in the countries of Middle Eastern Europe and start making economic aid and help and and, and of course for doing investing investments and 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 then Switzerland understands okay we can now do business and we can do a little bit more 
confident foreign policy. And this opens the way then in 1993 uh, for the uh, joining of the Bretton Woods uh, organizations and, and, and finishing this normalization process. Don't forget that uh, we had uh, we had a vote, popular vote, the, the Swiss population and the, and the states vote on, jo on joining the United Nations in 1986. And uh, the, the vote was highly negative, even if all important party were uh, in favor. And then we vote after the millennium and then 2002, there is in my view, this uh, completion of this normalization process. Well, Sasha, that's that's a fascinating, uh, fascinating, uh, I think, way to wrap things up here and, and a good way to tie in uh, the history of, of the Dota system of Swiss yeah, thank you. Uh, foreign relations. And uh, uh, and I'd like to just take a chance very, very quickly here to say thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. We really, really enjoyed talking with you today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. As always, you can get in touch with us by emailing coldwar at wilsoncenter.org. We'd like to thank Graham Norwood for this podcast's music. You've been listening to International History Declassified, a podcast focused on history, historians, their sources, and their methods. International History Declassified is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. And for more information on a world of topics, issues, and ideas, please visit wilsoncenter.org. International History Declassified is a production of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars.